is Jeans and a Nice Top, a crash course in modern dating with Ash and Mel. Um, hi guys, welcome back to Jeans and a Nice Top. Um, Ash is not here again, how rude of her. <laughs> but instead, I do have the great Clementine Ford here. She's an author. You've also probably seen her on Instagram. And she also has her own podcast called Big Sister Hotline. Hi. Hello, Melissa. Hello, Ash, who's not here. And hello to everyone who's listening. <laughs> Thanks for coming who's on. Who's also not here. I know. Here, weirdly, in weirdly some kind of meta way. And yet not. <laughs> Just podcasting, as always, is exactly like that meme where, where there is people stuck on the wall in the ad and you're sitting there sort of laughing along with us. Um, we are your friends just through the radio. <laughs> um, but Clementine, mm-hmm. you've got a book out called How We Love, which I love. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Um, and it's like, you know, I think a lot of the talk about it at the moment is how different it is from other work that you've done and potentially how different it is from how a lot of people perceive you um, because you have been quite, you know, vocal from a feminist perspective on the internet and not that how we love isn't feminist, but it's more about relationships and and love and loss and all of that. Um, and I, I think when I, I was sent the book and I sort of was, you know, when you're flipping through a book and you're sort of like, just land in a sort of section and go, oh yeah, okay. And I always end up reading every time I get a book that is like a memoir. I always read about the relationships because Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that I'm just like a bit pervy by nature anyway. Like I love to read about people's lives, but also, I think I, and I've been very, um, talked about this a lot on the podcast, I get relationship anxiety. And so my natural inclination is always to like reaffirm or freak myself out by other people's stories, which is very unhealthy. And my therapist would hate mm-hmm. that I still do that. But um, I was, I think I just was so taken with the way that you described the sort of breakdown of your um, relationship with your partner and then also returning back into being single again because you know like we have these periods of our lives where you know some, we we exist in a certain i guess relationship status for such a, a big chunk of our lives and then when that changes that's like a massive fucking life change that i think people don't really talk about in a way that's relatable that much um mm. and But for me, you said this thing at the end of that chapter where you were talking about comparing going back into being single with moving to a new city or a new country and how, Mm. you know, you go and then you feel kind of out of your depth and it's all a bit crazy and, you know, like it's exciting to a degree but it can also be like cripplingly lonely and and scary and, um, you know, change is quite scary but that eventually you'll get to the point where those streets and those areas will feel like home to you and, and you'll feel comfortable in that place. And it's funny because for me, I think I read that and I went, fuck, this is like me right now going, cause I'm now in a relationship after years and years, like probably a decade of being single. And I'm finding it really hard adjusting the other way where I'm like, mm. fuck, no, I'm so used to being independent. But so I think people would relate to it no, on both sides and now I feel like I'm babbling and I've just like not let you talk at all you're not anyway, you're not babbling at all no don't worry this is normally me this is exactly how I talk I've, I'm a I'm a real talker yeah. um you know it's really funny because I my natural inclination and my natural state is to not be in a relationship and I don't mean in a political kind of way although I guess I do have political thoughts about it as well but 
I've just never been a relationship girl. Mm-hmm. And I even say that in that chapter, you know, I'm not, I'm just not a relationship girl. Being in a relationship to some degree has always felt quite alien to me because mm-hmm. I'm so fiercely independent. And also my fi- foundational experience and my sort of foundational sense of myself was as someone who wouldn't get to call those things her mm-hmm. own. Um, so I kind of became very used to being single um, and, you know, I also I've reflected recently as well on the fact that my one of the things I think my parents did so well with me and my sister in particular was that we weren't raised with any kind of like expected narrative that one day we would get married and have babies. Mm. You know, I don't remember ever hearing when you grow up and get married or when you find a husband or even if you do that, you won't find a husband. Mm. If anything, my parents were both very adamant about the fact that we needed to be able to take care of ourselves, never rely on anyone for money, they said, never rely on a man for money. And, of course, I mean, I'm queer, so, like, that, you know, it wasn't like they were saying. They were being very gendered about it in, a, yeah. in the way that a lot of girls are raised, and maybe this is changing now, but a lot of girls, all women of my generation really, were, were surrounded at least by the in the cultural soup of mm the expectation that one day we would get married. But I just didn't have that in my actual home, Mm. which made it really easy for me to see a different kind of life for myself, one in which there was excitement and travel or all these kinds of motifs of independence that we kind of attach to being single in a positive way. Um, And actually I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day and and I said, I just don't, I didn't grow up with any of that kind of expectation on me, so I never felt... Um, pressured into doing it and also as a result of that I never felt like not doing it would make me a failure yeah and she said isn't it interesting that you did grow up in a house that despite that narrative you also grew up in a house where body image issues were like prime because it was very important to be thin in my house and neither my sister nor I were thin Mm. Um, but we were very kind of like that message was definitely um reinforced at home and I did grow up with a shit ton of fucking body image issues and I still have them so it's so interesting to me like that comparison that what we we have the choice at home to reinforce the cultural narrative that's around us or not and it can really make a huge difference to someone's life because I I I guess I craved a relationship when I hit my 20s for the same reasons that many of us do, and that is that I felt like having one would validate me in some way yeah. in, to myself because I saw other women having them and I always felt like quite undesirable. Um, but I never really, it never fo- it never followed through that without it I would have a meaningless life. Yeah, yeah. So and I think was- that's such a huge difference. No, it is, 100%. And I think I battled... I think the reason I was single for so long was because I also grew up in a house where I wasn't yet. There was no pressure. Like I Mm. would say a little bit more there was that kind of that mention of, well, when you're married, it was sort of like expected that that was the path that I would follow, but it wasn't, I guess, there was no pressure to follow it. Mm. And particularly when I reached my 20s, 
the pressure to live um, a certain way was just completely removed. Like my parents have always been very, you know, supportive of me chasing career and traveling and, and doing a lot of independent stuff and were always kind of, you know, happy to meet partners along the way, but never like, mm-hmm. oh, you need to get married, you need to settle down. And even now in my mid-30s, that's not the way that they talk with me. You know, it's all kind of like, what do you actually want to do? And so then I think I also was very like much wanting to meet a person that I guess fulfilled me and, you know, a real partner, not just because, you know, I need to have mm. a partner. And I think there are so many, oh God. And it's, it's, it's such a weird one with relationships because I feel like if you overanalyze it, then you fuck yourself. <laughs> but if you don't overanalyze mm. if you don't analyze it at all, you fuck yourself. And it's kind of like there's mm. some sweet spot in the middle where you have to question like, am I in this for the right reasons versus, um, Oh, when I, you know, cause I'm definitely an overanalyzer and then I'll over question if I'm in it for the right reasons and then confuse myself. So, um, that's all really fun for me. Um, and <laughs> I was listening, but I guess, um, like, you know, cause you say, so you say obviously that you are more comfortable being single, but you know, it obviously wasn't that super easy to just like transition back into being single after being in a relationship. Well, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that's, that I say in that chapter is that when I met my son's father, he had just come out of a 14-year-long mm. relationship and I was concerned that someone wouldn't be ready to have a relationship after that length of time with someone. I said, how can you possibly be over your last relationship? Mm. And he said to me that when you break up with someone after 14 years together, you've been breaking up for a long time. Yeah. And I feel like that was true of us, that we were and there was a lot of things to do with it, but but mainly the kind of death now, as it is for so many women, was that we had a child. Yeah. And all of the inequality that having a child exposes in your relationship. I mean, you can, we lived a very equal life before that pretty much. But, I mean, I was still probably took on a lot of the emotional labour around the house. But the child is just something that you can't escape. And yeah. I was deeply resentful of how how much I had lost in terms of my own independence and freedom and how things had just essentially stayed the same for him. Yeah. And, you know, we, we split up when my son was um, two and a half. Mm-hmm. And I think for all of that time, things were just, it's very hard to come back from some of the resentment that you experience as a birth parent mm. when you do feel like you've been let down. Very gratifyingly in the years since we've split up, which is so now about half of my son's life has been spent with us together and half of us with us not together, mm. we've managed to rebuild our familial relationship um, to the point where, you know, he is, he is a member of my family. It's the, the relationship is different. You know, we're not romantically involved and we don't live together, but he spends a lot of time at our house and, mm. um, he comes over in the evenings and we watch TV, TV together and, you know, we do a lot of things as a family, which I think is really positive for our son. And I feel really grateful that we – I don't feel grateful for him because we shouldn't feel grateful to be given what, what should be should anyway. Have. Yeah, absolutely. But I feel very grateful for our situation because I know that, that the ability to have that kind of healthy relationship with an ex, particularly after you've have, had children, is, is quite rare actually. Like mm. not everyone has it. Um and it, you know, it really demonstrated to me just a different way of loving someone and how 
I said to someone earlier that it really annoys me when people talk about relationships failing, you know, mm-hmm. oh, a failed relationship. They had a failed relationship. To me, no relationship is a failure. Every relationship is purposeful in some way. Mm-hmm. You may hate the person yeah. after you break up with them, but it's not a failed relationship. It's just a relationship that ended in a particular way. It's an ended yeah. relationship or it's mm-hmm. a changed relationship. And with, you know, in the case of my son's father and I, I would never consider that a failed relationship because we got the most beautiful child out of it. It it was, it's the most, one of the most meaningful relationships of my life. Yeah. And always will be. And I feel like one of the things that having, you know, going back to the way that my parents raised me to never believe that I just never believed that a man would complete me Mm. um, or that I needed to have one in order to have a valid existence that I able to reflect on ended relationships because of that, because it doesn't feel like I've lost something that that now makes me valueless in the eyes of society. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because I do think that we are changing our perception of relationships as like the one, like I just don't believe in the one. I never have. Mm. I feel particularly, oh, that's a lie actually. I think this is such a like, aside but I grew up in church so I do have some fucked up stuff from that and I definitely believed in the one then but as you know me now I just didn't buy into it because Mm. I was like it doesn't make any sense and I'm much very much a realist with a lot of stuff like that where I'm just like I can't get around that and I think yeah that's changing I feel like there's this sort of like archaic idea that you know you have to find this other half that's like your soulmate that like puts the other piece in and then you're perfect and you know whole finally and if you lose that then it's all gone and I feel like we are starting to change that perception too oh yeah I just feel like you know we you may have one long romantic relationship in your whole life and that's great or you may have a series of or you may have none and all of those you know ways of living are valid and I think we are starting to kind of embrace that sort of you know all these different paths as opposed to one's particular path of fate kind of idea not to get too philosophical there (laughs) no absolutely I mean when you think about it I actually feel quite suffocated at the thought of meeting someone in my late 20s or early 30s when you're supposed to meet the one quote unquote the one and then spending the next 50 years of my life with the same person. I actually just think it's, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be monogamous and I'm not saying that people shouldn't stay with someone for the rest of their life, but we really need to get rid of this notion that we will find the one person we want to spend the rest of our life with. How can you possibly know if you Mm. want to spend the rest of your life? Your life changes so much and there's so many different things that that change your life, whether or not you choose to have a baby or, or if you can have a baby and you want one, um, you're, you become a completely different person. And then I'm, I've just hit 40. I haven't gone through the menopause yet, but it's coming for me. That mm-hmm. is going to change me as a person too. Your concerns become the person I am at 40 is someone who has way less fucks to give about the world and the men mm-hmm. in it mm-hmm. than when I was 25. Yeah, We are constantly changing people. And yes, of course you can change with a person, but they can't be your only person. They yeah. can't be this idea that like, we've, well, I found my person. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that mean? I, know. I found my person. I know what it's supposed to mean, but we have so many different people in our life who, who fulfill a role. And sometimes yeah. the people we love romantically are perfect for us in our 20s. 
but they're not going to be perfect for us in our 40s. Yeah. And maybe what's perfect for us in our 40s is being alone. Yeah. Being single. Totally. And then finding finding another relationship maybe in our 50s or not, you know. But yeah. being able to let go of things is a really yeah. important lesson to learn. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's 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 funny because I think I used to think, oh God, I can't even imagine staying with one person for decades. And I feel my current relationship is definitely the healthiest I've been in. I, and I can like kind of envision it, but I also think that people forget that like relationships, like you said, they are a constant series of decisions that you make based on the person mm-hmm. that you are at that time. You know, so many factors can change things. And I, and I almost sometimes feel this is so controversial, but I, I almost sometimes feel it's a bit weird when we're like celebrating people that have stayed together, like 70 years or whatever, because it's like, cool. Like if, if that was because like, you know, I do believe in working on your shit. I do believe in that to a degree, like to a level, because sometimes I do think like I've been with dudes where they just won't work on anything and it's mm-hmm. like they can't even handle a, a single thing being wrong with them. But at the same time, it's like that then makes it the goal is that we're supposed to meet someone and be with them for 60, 70 years or whatever. And I don't think. And if you don't, then it's yeah. failed. Yes. And that's exactly oh, isn't it. it. So wonderful. I mean, when you think about it, any woman in a relationship now, a marriage who now people would say, well, they've been together for 50 years. They've been together for 60 years. That means that they got married in 1961. Mm. Time in 1961 and, and indeed for the next at least 10 years in Australia, sorry, this is a bit heavy content note for sexual violence. In 1961, it was legal in all states in Australia for a man to rape his wife. Mm. And I'm not saying that everyone who has been in, in a marriage for 60 years or got married in 1961 experienced that. Yeah. But I'm not not saying that it wasn't prevalent in some oh, cases. Yeah. So the idea that, like, um, a woman today, people would be applauding her for staying, oh, isn't it wonderful they've been together for 60 years? Well, what has she put up with yeah. over those 60 years? What lack of options did she have economically, socially, and even, um, even uh, you know, in terms of being a single mother, if she had mm. children, what options did she have to leave that relationship? Yeah. She didn't have any. So the idea of celebrating it as if, well, isn't it wonderful that people stayed together then? Women were forced yeah. to stay yeah. in many cases. And the shame of leaving a relationship, you know, back in those sorts of decades was far greater than it is now. And I think it's not so much like, you know, it's great. Sometimes you're going to have relationships where that is literally how it is, that Mm. they both just kept coming back together and coming back together. And and that is a beautiful thing. I do think that that's something to be celebrated. It's just not the only thing to be celebrated, you know, like let's celebrate that woman that had like, you know, I just read read this book that's actually really bad, but so great in just its stupidity called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it's like this sort of, you know, she's like this golden age actress and she has all these different partners, but then it's obviously not how it seems. And she has some Mm. partners that are, you know, just for show, for celebrity show, but then she has some partners that are, you know, awful and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we, we don't celebrate women who live these very colorful, interesting lives where they, you know, have you know just relationships or no relationship or however they want to live it but I do think we're starting to 
question how we have viewed relationships in that way and making it more okay and and less of like you said like less of a failure to leave Mm. a relationship that isn't serving you or both of you really um and you know pursue something else sure and isn't it funny just thinking in terms of you know the glowing accolades that are given to those couples that do stay together for a really long time say you had a woman who was 90 years old and she'd she was she'd studied she was a doctor of something doctor let's say she's a doctor of history Mm. she's traveled all her life she ran away and joined the circus at one point um you know she's she's always done whatever she wanted and and now she's died and she's left all of her money to home for cats or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Um, This story (laughs) never married, never had Mm. any children, but had the most incredible life. A lot of people obviously would be like, wow, what an amazing woman. But the social narrative Mm. wouldn't be, isn't it wonderful that she never married? Mm. It would be, she did all of these things. Sadly, she never married. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, she never had Sadly, children. She never left children. Yeah. And that's the yeah. thing is that, like, for a lot of women, it's still any nothing we do will ever be seen as being successful, as successful as getting married. Yeah. Which is my one of my theories on why a lot of women still change their names if they marry a man, mm. so that they can signal to the world. And I know that this is going to upset some of your listeners because people get very tetchy when you talk about name changing. Mm. I'm not criticizing anyone for doing it. We, we operate in a world where certain social advantages are given based on the choices that we make. Um, no choice is made in a vacuum. No choice can be freely made. All I'm saying is that it's interesting that we've advanced so much and yet this practice still prevails and why there is no purpose for it. And if people say, well, I wanted to have the same last name as my children. If you're growing the baby and giving birth to the baby, the baby should automatically have the same last name Mm. as you. And if the father wants to have the same last name as his children, he can change his name to yours, except that doesn't happen very often. So Mm. how much of a choice is it really if it's all one way? Yeah, that is so interesting, actually, because I was thinking about this and I was like, the older I've gotten, I feel like in my 20s, I was really obsessed with the traditional way of doing everything. And I wanted the big floofy wedding with the big floofy wedding dress and the bazillion flowers and whatever. And like every single possible additional person that could be in the bridal party that you could have. And then I think the older I've gotten, the idea of what my wedding looked like got more and more minimalist to the point where now I'm like, do I even want to get married? And like, I definitely would want to have kids before I got married because I just don't feel this need to get married before children now. And then, yeah, even the name thing, like I think when I became like more of an established writer, I was like, well, I don't want to change my last name because my byline is all over the internet. And then that changes Mm -hmm. my whole byline and that's chaos for journalists. And, you know, um, but even on a personal level, I was like, I kind of like my name. It's two M's. It, it sounds great. It's your um, name. It's you my know, people name. People always say, yeah. oh, it's just your father's name anyway. And firstly, it's my father's name and it's my grandmother's name and it's my all of my amazing aunt's name. It's my sister's last name. It was my mother's last name. And, yes, she made her choice because she got married in 1980 and <laughs> or 1979, 1980. I can't remember which one. Um 1979, when it was less of a choice to do something like that. But more importantly, 
it's my name. Yeah. I was born with it. It doesn't matter where it came from. It's my name. Why would I give up my name to have some other man's father's name? Because that's the other thing is that no one ever says to men, oh, it's just your dad's name anyway, because men get to have their name straight mm. away. Mm. They get to have their name and they get to decide who they give it to. Whereas women, our names are just apparently always on loan. We never really get to have it for yeah. ourselves. And it is weird when you think about it. Like it is fucking strange that we spend, you know, like say it's stereotypical. So it's like, what, 20-something years with our name and then we're expected to just drop it, change it to our husband's name and then birth all kids with his name and maybe one of them even gets his first name. It's just so fucking bizarrely old school and I don't again I'm the same I don't hate it I think if I had a kid I'd probably would give it my partner's last name and that's just a thing that it feels comfortable for me but it's also like it shouldn't be the only way it shouldn't be judged if you don't do it that way and it should definitely be questioned more than it is and has been but I'm, I'm curious as to why why you would want to give your I mean, and I should say that my son has both of our last names yes. and mm. it's unhyphenated, but he's got both of our last names. But um, I'm just curious and I'm not asking in a critical way. Mm. I'm curious why you, why your impulse is to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I would say it probably is this remnant of traditionalism in me. Like I definitely, my family is relatively conservative. I don't think they would judge me if I just said, no, I want it to have my last name. I also think if it were with my current partner, he would be very open to it being my last name as well. So it's not like pressure from anywhere. It's more like a strange, like I definitely can say 100% as much as I like that we are now questioning all these traditional, you know, ways that we operate in relationships as in life as women it's still ingrained there are things definitely still ingrained in me that where I'm like oh I would like to do that traditional thing um I I don't know I guess it's just still like I do feel like these things you know it takes like those generations for it to completely change in that way Mm -hmm. um but in saying that I guess I, I think it's just for me where I get frustrated is yeah the expectation not the choice, you know, like if you want to have the big floofy wedding, great, like so good. Mm. And the other thing as well is that maybe one of the reasons why women want big floofy weddings and to sort of have like these ostentatious events is because generally speaking, we are not encouraged or allowed as women to make ourselves the center of attention. Mm. We can't like, say you go and you get a PhD you don't get fawned over in the same way that you do if you're getting married. Like if you put posted that you're engaged and you posted that you got a PhD, more people would be thrilled at you being engaged than all of the hard work that went into <laughs> you becoming a fucking doctor. Yeah. Um, so being married or having a wedding rather is the is like the one of the allowable events in which women can say, this day is about me. And I will be the centre of attention because being an attention seeker in women is always seen as something criti- like to be criticised. Women are not allowed to seek attention for the things that we want to have attention for, you know, our, the social justice issues that we're passionate about, um, our work, 
you know, our hobbies, are the things that we're fans of, we're not allowed to seek that attention. But we, of course, have to accept the attention that we don't want, which is usually catcalls on the street or like mm-hmm. groping or unwanted male attention. We are told that we must accept because it's a compliment. And yet, conversely on that as well, if we complain about it, we're just being an attention seeker. Um, mm. So so <laughs> getting married is the one day where you can stand up and you can be like, this day is all about me. And it's also not for all women, but for many women, it's the one place where they can stand there and expect that this man who they have devoted their life to will actually tell them how he feels about her. Oh my God, that's such a huge one. That is such a massive one because then you just kind of like this whole pressure on the vows being perfect and all this stuff. And it's like, not just tell her, but tell everyone else. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's heavy. And you know what else is heavy is like, I was thinking this because I've been to quite a few super, super traditional like Christian weddings and stuff back in the day. And there's like, technically the bride isn't supposed to speak. They don't get a a fucking speech. And to be fair, I've been to many weddings where the woman was like, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. But like, it's, it's wild the things that we're like, you know, like, like the father giving them away. And again, I don't hate it. I'm not against it if someone's really into it. Like, I love my dad. I would probably love him to walk me down the aisle if I choose to get married. But it's like why. I think really the crux Mm. of it for me is questioning why, like having that critical thinking to go, why do I want this? Why, Like like you asked me about why would I want my kid to have my partner's last name? And if you – analyze it yourself and go, no, I'm pretty happy with my choice. And my, you know, I've, I've thought about why we do this. At least then you can go, well, I'm critically thinking about these expected and ingrained ideas that I have about the way my life's supposed to go, the way my relationships are supposed Mm -hmm. to go and all of that. Um, Can I say though, can I say though, just, and I'm not trying to change your mind. I just want to tell you this so that you have it in your back pocket (laughs) for I feel like I'm now going to have a kid and I will not be able to because I'll be like, I'll have your voice here just being like, do not. (laughs) It's just something to think about. And for anyone who's listening who maybe wants to have a child Mm. or is expecting a child, just something for you to put in your back pocket and hold on to. When you have your first baby, I haven't had a second one, so I don't know what it's like with a second, but certainly your life changes with a first. Even if you're having a baby with someone who you think that you're going to be in love with for the rest of your life, we're so in love, we're having a baby together. Mm. I, I can promise you that your conception of love will just animalistically change after that child arrives. And it's not because you, oh, my God, you never knew what love was like until you had a child. It's mm. not that. Obviously, you know what love is, but you've you've never experienced or you probably haven't experienced what that particular kind of love is Mm -hmm. and when you have a baby the ways that you feel about your your partner that you felt before you know that we're in this together he's the most important person to me and obviously we're speaking in very heteronormative terms here he's the most important person to me we're going to be doing this together almost just doesn't factor in when you're in survival mode with your Mm -hmm. this creature who's your baby and his needs become superfluous you know, one thing I say to if men and women are having a baby together and it's their first, I always say to the man, you need to understand that for the next period of time, you're the least important person in the house because yeah. the most important person in the house is the baby because yeah. the baby is defenseless and it needs to be, it's making me emotional talking about it. <laughs> the baby needs to be taken care of. And mm. the baby in those immediate first weeks, 
mostly will need to be taken care of by its birth parent. And in most cases, that's going to be a mother. Um, whether or not they're breastfeeding or not, it's just the maternal drive to take care of the baby for most people will be there. Obviously, there are circumstances where, you know, it's very difficult to bond with your baby because of postnatal mm-hmm. depression and other yeah. things that may be going on. But generally speaking, that's what's going to happen. And so the job of the father, if there is a father, is to be the support system for the mother who is the support system for the baby and his needs come last. Mm. When you're in that situation, it's very difficult to, like you're, you're, the, the way that you love in that environment just radically changes and if, as happens to you, if, if, if what happens to you is the same thing that happens to so many women after they have children with a man and they realise how, like, chronically they're being let down or how inadequate their, their partner is as, is as that support system and that might lead to the breakdown of your relationship, which is becoming more and more common, you then have a baby who has his last name mm. and... And it becomes a reminder to many women of the fundamental inequality that existed during that time Mm. because they did all the work and they continue to do all of the work. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that, like, that almost feels a little bit like how fucking woeful Australian sex education has been in schools in that we don't get told the real shit we just get told this sort of like very top line you know abstinence first kind of stuff that we like that's the first time I've heard someone explain early parenting to me in that way and I feel like don't you think if more like not that again I don't think we should be like Mm. clapping and celebrating people who are doing the bare fucking minimum but like don't you think if more men or or partners non you know more people that weren't the birth parent were told, you know, this is how it's going to be and you need to prepare yourself for that, that maybe they wouldn't, you know, because I have heard stories mm. of people just being absolutely fucked when the baby comes and they just like totally don't, under, like they just become another child essentially who's whinging and asking for attention. It's my least favourite fucking joke, seeing women on Instagram doing their reels or whatever and they're joking about their fucking second child. Mm. It is and I understand why they need to turn it into a joke because if they because that's <laughs> that's kind of how a lot of women negotiate not leaving their partners. Mm. And actually I object to that word partner because after a, a child arrives you become very clear on whether or not they're being a true partner or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that title should be earned. Yeah, absolutely it should be. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of like, oh, it's the second child. It's just it is grotesque. Like we need to stop infantilizing men yes. and yeah. we need to stop, you know, kind of making jokes about it. It just contributes to our own fucking humiliation. And I definitely think like, like there is a lot of conversation about the partnership and I'm hearing like you hear more now about this idea of like, yay, he does the dishes. Oh, mm. my God. I trained him well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Gross. and like great that we're not expected now to stand in our like black lingerie set with an apron on making like 
duck a l'orange while we're nursing a two-week-old baby and they just stroll in from drinks with the boys at the pub like great that that's not just the expected Mm. and 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 make sure that we're servicing his needs as well because if we don't take care of him then he'll leave oh god it is just i mean that's that is a kind of a retro idea but it definitely still plays out in homes all across the country it does and i think like you know i do think like I've kind of said here, like I, I feel like one of the first steps is recognizing that it's fucked and then like questioning the stuff that you just mm. have blindly accepted. Like, you know, all of that is, is important. Sorry. I feel like I've kept you for a hundred million years. I could talk to you forever. This is fascinating. No, this is so fun. I've really enjoyed this Me too. It's not, it's, it's really great to talk about this stuff. It's literally not what we um, planned, but I love it anyway. <laughs> well, I know we were going to, I do have to go in a minute, but yeah. I know we were going to talk about dating with kids. So what I'll just quickly say is that I'm not even sure with, I'm not even sure that my experience is necessarily accurate because I, there are certain circumstances that make it a lot easier for me to make these yeah. choices. One is that I am financially able to rely on myself. So I had the economic freedom to be able to leave. Um, but also, you know, my son's with his dad 50% of the time and I have no, there's no like animosity with, you know, um, sharing that time. I definitely don't talk about dating with him. Yeah. Um, and nor do I really want to. Um, but my personal view is that, and I, and the reason I point all that out is because I know that for some women, particularly those who are soul mothers, yeah. they may not have these choices. They may not have family. I don't have family here in Melbourne either, but there's always someone who I could call on to, you know, to, to help take care of my son. Um, well, there's not always someone. I'm really struggling tonight to find someone with my book launch, actually. <laughs> um, but but, you know, it's, I can get time away. And also because I have 50% of the time to myself, yeah. I, that's, that's the time when I would spend with my friends and maybe, I mean, I really date now because I find most men just so like, just the lack of effort is incredible. <laughs> yeah. um, even in terms of being interesting. Um, <laughs> but, but if I were to date, then I could do it in that time when it's just to myself and, and not all women have that option, obviously. Yeah. But having said all of that, I my stance is that if I were to meet someone who I wanted to be with in a full kind of like in a relationship capacity, which I, I'm not craving, to be honest, but if I were to do that, I would still, it would still need, I think it would still take me at least a year, if not a lot longer, for me to even introduce them to myself. Yeah, yeah, because that's the big one. Because I, I, yeah, I just don't. I don't, they don't need to know him. He's got nothing to do with, yeah. with the person. Um, they certainly won't be called on to take care of him. Mm. And he has a dad, so he doesn't need another parental figure. Um, and I just don't think that for me, someone like my son is the most important person to me in the world. I'm not just going to introduce him to just anyone, yeah. you know, and I also don't want to do to my son what I know has happened to a lot of people of my generation growing up with people coming in and out Mm. because it was just more accepted then that partners would come in and out or whatever. Um, It's a huge risk factor for children and I don't want him to look at me. I don't want his, my, it's not like I give him unwavering attention all the time, but 
I don't want him to think that he's ever competing with some stranger that's just mm. waltzed into his into his home. Mm. You know, I never wanted to bring anyone into my son's home where he felt like he had no say over whether or not they were there. Yeah. The other thing that we get asked a lot is, you know, and we've kind of touched on it in a way, is when when do you bring up, like if do you put on your dating app bios or whatever that you have a kid? A lot of people do. But then also if you're not comfortable doing that, how do you bring it up kind of saying like, mm-hmm. hey, I've got a kid because, you know, we'll have a lot of – we've had a lot of questions from, you know, sort of mums who are like, well, I don't really feel comfortable mentioning that I have a kid on my app bio for whatever reason, but – like obviously it's important it's an important part of my life and I'm like do I bring it up on the first date do I wait it's interesting because um when I was more active on the apps I started chatting to this guy and we chat it was a quite we didn't talk extensively but you know he said some funny things and suggested a date and he said let's do it on Friday and I said oh, I've got my son on Fridays so could we do it on Saturday and he replied and he said oh look no offense and then, look it's fine that people don't want to date anyone with kids I totally have no I don't begrudge that at all. Mm. He said, look, no offense, but um, I'm not really interested in dating anyone with children. Mm. Fine. And then he said, you should probably put that in your profile. And I was like, okay, no worries. Take care. But in my head, I just thought, fuck you, you fucking wanker. (laughs) Like there's a million reasons why women wouldn't put in their profile that they've got children. And least of all on the list is that they're worried what you'll think of them. Like it's fucking dangerous for a start. Um, the most dangerous people to children are those who like are known to them mm-hmm. and, and step, stepfathers and boyfriends are the most fucking dangerous people that you can expose your children to. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that every boyfriend that you have will be a threat, but like, it's just, why would you put on a dating app? I've got kids. And why would you put photos of yourself on the app? I hate when men, I see app photos with men with their kids. Cause it's so fucking gross. Like those are children I'm pretty sure their mother didn't consent to their kids being Mm. on a fucking dating app, particularly not so you, who was probably a piece of shit when she left you because you didn't help her with anything, (laughs) particularly not when you're putting your kids there Mm. to try and signal to women that you're like a family guy. Mm. But really, in a lot of cases, what you're looking for is a woman to help you take care of them when it's your weekend. Mm, um, I mean, that's that's harsh. No, that's harsh. but I, I get what you mean. Very active have, dads, but no, but we have experienced that, and you see it. Like you see, how many fucking men have we come across on apps where they're like, "Not my kid, ha ha," but they've got pics with a kid, yeah. and you're like, "Why have you fucking got a pic with a kid then? Why have well, you got and that?" And it's up? even worse if it's not your kid. <laughs> it's like, fucking it's, weird. it's bad if it's your children, but if it's someone else's children, I can't. It's, if if no, if a man I knew had a photo of my son on his fucking mm. dating app, I'd fucking rip his balls off. Yes. And honestly, you sh- as so you should, because that is so on so many levels fucked up. Like, and I How remember, dare you? like, I think it's worse. It is the worst dating sort of trope, I guess, that I can think of. Like, I don't give a fuck about the fish photos. I'm fine. Have your fish photo. Whatever. Like I actually, I, I like, I like that you like something. I love that. Go fishing. It's great. I love when I see a man, this happened a lot when I was in the Northern Territory where their first photo is their four wheel drive. I actually, right. great. Cool. I actually love seeing the inanimate object first. It's great. That's fine. <laughs> but I do not want, I, I can't get around anybody that, yeah, like if you're listening to this and you're a, a, per, any person that is using someone else's kid in a photo on your app, delete it now. It's not cool. It's so gross. It's so gross. It's so gross. Thank you so much for being here. I know I could, 
honestly could definitely um guys we're going to put the link in the bio for clementine's book how we love and also for big sister hotline because it's a really good podcast you should listen to it um you should be on it be <laughs> i'd love guest. to be on it um but ash yeah. you're not invited no, ash can come too <laughs> um, but thanks for coming on um see you later guys thank you so much